God's not answering your prayers? Ever feel like that, that he just doesn't really care about your problems? Like things seem to be getting worse before they seem to be getting better? My guess is all of us have felt that way at least once in life. I was reading a story from the 1930s about a blimp, and there were 250 men that were holding ropes attached to this blimp. They were trying to keep it in place. And suddenly a strong gust of wind came up and and blew up under the front of the blimp, and it started violently lifting up in the air. Some of the guys hung on to the rope for a little bit as it started rising, but but they let go, and they they dropped to the ground without too much injury. Others panicked a little bit, and they clung to the ropes, and the, the blimp kept rising and rising and rising, but eventually they couldn't hold on anymore, and they fell to the ground and were seriously injured. And then there was this one guy, though, that he was dangling from that blimp like 45 minutes before he was rescued. And some reporters, after everything was calmed down, they went over to the guy and they said, how in the world did you hang on to that rope that long? The guy said, I, I didn't hang on to that rope. I tied the rope around my waist. The rope was hanging on to me. My passionate hope and prayer for us in the next few weeks is that we would be able to tie the rope of God's truth around our waist. How? Through this prophet named Habakkuk. Now, some of you grew up in a church and that last K was silent. It's always Habakkuk. But that K is there, so we're going to use it, all right? Habakkuk. We're going to be looking at the life of Habakkuk, listening to the truth that he has for us. But why? Why are we going to tie the rope of God's truth around our ways from some old prophet? Here's why. So when it seems like your prayers are not being answered, when it seems like things really are going from bad to worse, when it seems like you're nervous or you're afraid or you're angry about how things may turn out, the rope of God's truth will be holding you and reminding you that you are a child of the King. And our King keeps His promises forever and ever. So, Grab your rope, and let's dive in. Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, says this. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now, we don't know much about this cat. We just really don't. We know he was a prophet. We know he ministered probably sometime around 600 B.C. We know that his name is a Hebrew word that means to embrace, not like a hug, but like, a, like an Olympic wrestler, you know, like a serious embrace. And that's about all we know. We don't know a whole lot about him, and that's okay, because his biography is not the priority. It's, it's the oracle that matters. It's, it's the message that matters. The word oracle here can mean burden. And so Habakkuk has a, a serious burden. He has a, a burden because of the life that he's in. 
It's believed that for many years he was ministering during the time of a good king, a, a good king who honored God and obeyed God and was good to the people. But then another king took over. And the other king was a bad king, and he dishonored God, and he disobeyed God, and he did not do right by the people. Habakkuk lived during a time where there were good leaders and there were bad leaders in his nation. Anything sound familiar there? Can we make any connection with that? Just like us, Habakkuk experienced some difficult moments with national leaders. So, do you think it mattered who was king? Of course it mattered. Do you think it matters who is president? Of course it matters. But, unlike the kings of Habakkuk's day, an American president cannot do whatever they want. I have a counseling friend, Rick Thomas. He wrote this about a week ago. To sit back as though the president is the be-all, end-all is wrong-headed and will reduce to you a despairing complainer, not an active transformer. Active transformer. I like that word. How can we be an active transformer as an American in November 2020? How can we be an active transformer? Well, Rick's going to tell us. He begins this way. Somewhere between overinflating the position of president and lowering the bar to the ground is wisdom. Always true, right? We, we tend to go to extremes, but there's always wisdom. So, so we need wisdom if we're going to be an active transformer. What does that mean? He goes on. If you're passive or unconcerned about political matters, you're part of the problem. If you're grumbling about the state of the union, you're part of the problem too. Those two attitudes are like children who check out from the family or complain about it. Neither one will cooperate with the Lord in the betterment of the whole. Christian, that is our call. How can we be a part of the betterment of the whole? How can we be active transformers that are betterments as part of the whole? How how do we do that? Rick tells us, the one right answer is to examine your heart to see who controls it. So if we're going to be an active transformer, if we're going to be a betterment to the whole, it actually will never start in the White House. And it'll never start in the State House. And it'll never start in the church. And it'll never start anywhere else other than my heart and your heart. That's where everything begins. He goes on. If the Lord is pulling your heartstrings, then you are experiencing happiness, joy, rest, peace, and contentment. Now, let me just say, none of us will ever experience that perfectly, okay? We're all going to have our moments. But, But generally speaking, are those things seen in your life? He goes on. If these traits are not how someone would characterize you, there's work that must happen. From your heart flows all your attitudes and your words and your actions. And then he says this, as the Lord is stabilizing your heart, you're in the right spot to activate your faith to help change those within your sphere of influence. Active transformers betterment of the heart, activating your faith around those that you influence. See, we can be a part of this. This is what we've been called to do as believers. 
but it starts in one place, and it starts with one question. So, I want you to ask that question of your heart today, okay? I'm going to ask it of mine out loud, just so you can kind of get a feel for what we're talking about, because this is the question. Doubt. Who controls your heart? Now, I want you to take a moment. I want you to put your name in that sentence, and I want you to ask that sentence to yourself. Right now. Who controls your heart? Who, who is controlling your heart? Are you in a position to be an active transformer? Are you in a position for your faith to be activated so that you can help be a part of change and, and influence beyond just casting a vote? Or is your heart being so controlled by so many different things that at the end of the day, you're just a grumbling, despairing complainer? What was Habakkuk? Well, Habakkuk, again, had a burden. He, he wasn't a, a grumbling, despairing complainer about anything inside the church or outside the church or in the country, in the land. He, he wasn't a grumbling complainer. But boy, he had a burden. He, he had a burden that there was a spiritual decline in his country, that there was spiritual rebellion in his country. He, he had a burden. And what was he going to do? He was going to take that burden to the Lord. He was going to take his burden to God because he knew there was nowhere else for him really to take that burden. And what does Habakkuk say to the Lord? What does he say to him? Listen to verse 2. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? This burden is overwhelming. And this ain't the first time he's come to God. You just see it, right? God, it's, it's me. It's Habakkuk. I'm, I'm here again. God, I'm, I'm pleading again. I'm, I'm praying again. God, how long? How long before you answer? Why are you not helping? Why is this great burden still in my life? God, what are you doing? You ever prayed that way before? Ever felt that way before? What is this burden that he has? Listen as he continues in verse 2. I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. He was burdened about the world that he lived in. And, and what was the world like around Habakkuk? Well, according to his own description, it was a world full of sin and wickedness and violence and fighting and imperfect judicial system and imperfect government. Hear anything familiar? Anything we can make a connection with. You know, many of us oftentimes when we hear the, the latest news story of someone escaping the law or, or, or someone perverting justice, we're, we're quick to kind of huff and puff. We're quick to kind of get our dander up. But particularly as believers, we, we should be slow to huff and puff. And we should be quick 
to consider our own hearts. Because see, even as, as believers, we will find ourselves up in arms over statistics about the economy, statistics about the election. And we ignore, dismiss, or are completely apathetic about statistics about abortion or statistics about human trafficking. See, the reality is, even we as believers, we have the ability to think in an unjust way. To think in a a self-absorbed, self-centered way and, and not see the big picture of God's grace and mercy active in the world at any given moment. Habakkuk wasn't just finding sin and injustice out in the world. He was finding sin and injustice among the people of the church. Sadly, he was finding sin and pride and selfishness and justice among God's people. And look, if we're honest, there's nothing new under the sun. Sadly, there is still too much sin and pride and selfishness and injustice inside and among God's people. So what can we do? Repent. Like we can, we can stop it. I mean, you know, it's not like a diet, you know, because that's a lot harder to stop eating things that you want to eat. But you know, as believers, I think we can just say, man, God, I I think I I really want to deal with sin and pride and selfishness in my life. I think I'm not going to sit in the pew and be comfortable with it anymore. Because you created all things, invisible and visible, and that includes me. And you've created me to worship you. And so, God, I'm not doing a good job of that because there's this thing I want and I'm not getting it. And so I'm going to hang on to that. And what we should be saying is, God, have thine own way. Have thine own way. Like Habakkuk, we live in a world full of sin and injustice, but we should not be surprised, right? The wise man of the Old Testament said what in Ecclesiastes 1.9? What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. One of the underlying truths of the gospel is that things are not going to get better. Hence the need for the good news of the gospel. The, the bad news will increase, but there's the good news of the gospel to cancel it out. So things are supposed to get worse. Glad we tuned into Holland Avenue today. Man, they know how to encourage a fellow over there. But but it's true, right? I mean, Jesus said it pretty pretty bluntly, pretty clearly, that things were going to get worse before they got better. But but in the middle of the bad news, there's this great news, this good news. Because see, one day, when it seems like things are going from worse to worse to worse, on that day and that moment, One day the clouds will open, the trumpet will sound, and the Lord Jesus will descend in all of his glory. And even so, and especially so, if you're a Christian, that truth should make today a moment where we can say, it is well with my soul. Another heart question. Can you say that today? I mean, I don't know. What, what news did you see before you came to church that's like in your mind that made you mad or afraid? Can you say it's well with your soul? 
Can you say it's well with your soul this week heading into Tuesday? Can you say today it's well with your soul? Wednesday morning, will you be able to say it's well with your soul no matter what happens? Will you be able to say it's well with your soul? Because the, the gospel is designed to do just that. It's designed to help our soul when, when nothing else will help. Now, does that mean that you know, we're just going to sit in the backyard in a, in a lounge chair and just say, oh, Jesus is coming back one day, I'm just going to hang out, it's well with my soul? No. Now, what should we do? We should be like Habakkuk. We should be broken, and we should be burdened. We should. We should be burdened, and we should be praying that God would send some spiritual revival to our land as it continues to move towards spiritual rebellion. And just a reminder, non-Christians are supposed to be spiritually rebellious. It's kind of who they are. The problem is that the church needs revival. We're the ones that our spiritual rebellion is always worse because we're the people of God. And so when revival comes, it starts with the church. It's not packing a pew night. It is packing your heart night. It's when a believer all over again realizes, I have been saved, I have been rescued, I have been redeemed, and that's supposed to matter. And it's supposed to change how I think and how I act and what I do and how I vote and how I live the day after I vote. That's the gospel. That's what makes it good news. We should be burdened that spiritual revival would come. We should be broken for the men and women and the boys and girls that apart from Christ will be cast into utter darkness and separated from God forever. We should be broken. We should be burdened. But we should not be surprised. We should not be surprised. To some degree, things are supposed to get worse before Jesus returns. Which makes me kind of appreciate Habakkuk's question here. Hey, God, come on. How long? How long, God? I mean, God, everything that I'm seeing in the world right now doesn't seem like how you would want things. Ever thought that before? David Guzik says this, Habakkuk deals with the questions that come up when someone really believes God, yet looks around them and the world doesn't seem to match up with how God wants it. I'd say we're all there right now to some degree. So Habakkuk's pleading. He's praying, God, please, God, please, God, please, for some amount of time. And then the Lord answers him. He responds. And if you're a believer, I really don't want you to miss that. No matter how bad your burden is, no matter how long you are praying, please know God hears you. He hears you. And he will answer. So God answers Habakkuk. And what does he say? Listen to verse 5. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. Because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. Did you see Habakkuk? Yes! Thank you, Lord. Finally. Great news. I I can't wait to see how all this is going to unfold. Boy, this is just too good to be true. Thank you, Lord. But it's very possible that his tone was about to change. He was about to say, 
God, this is too bad to be true. Why? Because he was going to hear God's answer. And God's answer was not what he was expecting. Listen to the rest of God's answer, beginning with verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people, who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. Can't you just kind of feel Habakkuk's jaw dropping to the ground? What? (laughs) What, God? See, God was going to deal with the sin. He was going to deal with the pride. He was going to deal with the injustice. Both inside and outside of the church, God was going to deal with it. And how was he going to deal with it? By sending a wicked nation to destroy and take over. Now we know why God said, hey, be astonished. You wouldn't believe it if I told you. (laughs) True, we we wouldn't. Because this sounds like the opposite of an answer to prayer. I mean, Habakkuk's been praying for a long time, and and this is the answer? But it is God's answer. It's it's God's answer. He's been raising up the Chaldeans to handle the problem of sin. He's been raising up the Chaldeans to handle the problem of injustice among his people and beyond. Now, someone might be thinking, wait a minute. Are you saying that God is working through a group of monsters to deal with the problem of sin. No, I'm not saying that at all. God is saying that. That's what he did. That's what he was doing. And what are these Chaldeans like? They're ruthless. They're violent. They do whatever they want. They take whatever they want. They were nobodies, and all of a sudden they're taking over the world. Why? Because God said that he made them for his own purpose. He was using them for his purpose. That's that's super important to remember. See, Pilate and the Jewish leaders, they weren't delivering Jesus over to be crucified to accomplish the purpose of God. But God accomplished his purpose through Pilate and the Jewish leaders and others. God made a way for me to be saved and a way for you to be saved. The psalmist reminds us of this, Psalm 135. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. It's a great psalm. The the Lord is great. He does whatever he pleases. He is good and his love endures forever and nothing can change that. And all of that is true, even in the midst of what sounds like to us the wrong answer to prayer. All of these things about God are always true. They never change, even when it seems like 
he's silent. Even when it seems like he's not working. Even when it sounds like his prayer and his answer is wrong. Everything in the Bible screams to us that God knows when to bless and he knows when not to bless. Which brings us back to the Chaldeans. We, we see here they're ruthless and they're violent. Just Again, just kind of an overview of verses 6 through 10. Listen to it again. They're hot-tempered. They take whatever they want. They don't follow any kind of rules or law. They're mean. They're awful in how they treat other people. And they have no respect for authority. Any of those ring a bell? See, if you go through the Old Testament and read the story of God's people, you'll find those things among God's people. And you know what? Even today, you'll find those things among God's people. You'll find God's people still struggling with some of those same sins. Hot-tempered. Take whatever they want. Don't follow any rules. Mean and awful in how they treat others. No respect for authority. We still find those things today among the people of God. Not just among the Chaldeans. You know, one of the saddest parts of this story is what God says back in verse 5. You would not believe it if you were told. And God was right because they didn't listen to Habakkuk. He was right because they didn't listen to Noah. He was right because they didn't listen to Jesus. One day Jesus was teaching a group of religious leaders and he told them a parable. And the parable goes like this. This is from Matthew 21. A certain landowner planted a vineyard built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop, but the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the owner said, I'll send my son. Surely they'll respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said, Oh, look, here comes the heir to the estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. And so they grabbed him, they dragged him out of the vineyard, and they murdered him. At this point, Jesus turns to the religious leaders and asks this question. When the owner of the vineyard returns, what do you think he will do to those farmers? And you know those church folks had an answer pretty fast, and it went like this. Oh, he will put the wicked men to a horrible death. He'll lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. And then Jesus turned to them and said this. Didn't you ever read the scriptures? Usually not a good sign when you're a church person and Jesus' response is, I don't think you're reading your Bible. Didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. That's pretty heavy. Because see, Jesus is that cornerstone. And so in the same way that Habakkuk would plead with the Lord to move and act, I I would plead with you today, do not reject the cornerstone. Do not reject the cornerstone. Listen to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Enjoy Jesus. He is all you need. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers when we want him to and the way we want him to. 
But no matter how he answers the prayer, we really do need to own the reality that his answer is always good and effective and right for you and good for his glory. We, we can trust him. He's, he's pretty good at taking care of the world. He's done it for a while. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers when we want to in the way we want him to, and, and so we quit praying. You know, we just, we just quit. I mean, you know, we'll sit down at the, at the dinner table and we'll throw up a little part of our blessing, you know, God, you know, be with the election, or God, you know, be with my help, or God, you know, be with my health, or be with the kids, or something, you know. But just, just don't do that. Don't, don't, don't make small God stuff with the God of the universe. Keep at it. Keep taking things to the Lord. He listens, he hears. And don't reject his answers. And listen, this is, this is the hardest one for all of us. Don't reject his silence. Don't reject the silence of God. The silence of God throughout eternity, throughout history, is good and right and helpful. So don't, don't reject his silence. We want to, but don't. And if you're a Christian, at the very least, just pray in such a way Pray like, pray like Sylvester Thompson, retired postal worker, one of my RA leaders. And when he would pray and he'd start praying about the cross, he, he, he would just get teary. He just would, he'd tear up. He never got over being saved. I, I can't remember, Mr. Sylvester was an old man when he was my RA leader. He, he wasn't a young guy, which I challenge you older men. Um, you're, you're never done. Because one of the men that made the biggest difference in my life was making that difference after the age of 75. He was probably in his 80s when he died. And you know, I had the privilege to, to pray with a member of our church this week. And I was so thankful for the simplicity that halfway through the prayer, he said, God, this is the second time I've got to pray with you today. That, that's how we should think. That, that's how our heart should be in prayer. I just, God, thanks for letting me come back again and talk to you. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers when we want and the way we want, so we actually just quit turning to him. We do. We just, we start turning to other people or other things. We just find something else to turn to. Listen, your family is great. Your spouse is great. Your kids are great. Your parents are great. Your grandparents are great. Your friends are great. Political pundits even have their place, Okay. But there is absolutely no comparison for the living God. Don't ever quit turning to him. Don't ever stop turning to him. You may not understand. You might question. You might struggle. You might be confused. But you can never say that God is unloving or uncaring. Let me repeat that. You may struggle. You may question. You may not understand. You may be confused. But you can never say that God is unloving or uncaring. How do we know that? David Fairchild said this, because the Christian God, unlike the gods of all the other religions, takes our misery and our suffering so seriously that he is willing to get involved with it himself. On the cross, Jesus suffered with us. And he suffered for us. So, what is all of this have to do with election week 2020. 
can't say it any better than the Apostle Paul. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Tie that around your waist. Tie that around your waist. Because, dear friend, that'll hold. That'll hold forever.